Hello, this is Dara Whelan, and I am the Irish Independence 1916 Project Coordinator. As part of our commemoration coverage, we're bringing you a 10-part podcast series that's looking at the history of the Easter Rising in 10 Objects. It's based on the book A History of the Easter Rising in 50 Objects by well-known historian John Gibney, who's already written the biography of Sean Houston for the acclaimed 16 Live series, and he's also currently the Glasnevin Trust Assistant Professor at Trinity College in Dublin. John, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Dara. So for today's show, we're going to be talking about a poster for the Coliseum Theatre from 24th of April 1916. John, you might uh, talk to us about the importance and provenance of this object. Well, if anyone out there is listening to, uh, has ever listened to stories of the parents courting and, you know, romantic tales of how they, how they met and all this type of thing, and they went to the movies or they went to the theatre, they got into the back row and all this type of thing, and you know what happened... None of this would have happened in the Coliseum Theatre because it no longer exists. But it existed in 1916, and this is a poster for it. So it's safe to say there probably were people on the 24th of April 1916, which was a public holiday, who were fully intent on going to see um, acts such as Fred Barnes, the Trombettas, or whoever else was listed on that poster. Now, um, they probably didn't get to them in the end, but the fact that they probably were planning to get there says a lot about the fact that the Easter Rising, which broke out on that very day, took a lot of people by surprise. Now, uh, the Coliseum Theatre was a variety theatre in Henry Street, very well appointed by the standards of Dublin Theatre. And, you know, these, these were the, the music halls, vaudeville, the theatre. This was the entertainment of their day. Um, and it was quite large. It uh, had a capacity of about 3,000. So it seems that it, it wasn't, it was certainly not something that you would view as um, a hotbed of the Irish Ireland movement. It wasn't the Abbey Theatre. It was a commercial proposition. Um, you had to get bums on those seats to fill it. It had to pay it way and wash its face. Now, the catch is that it was located directly behind the GPO which I probably shouldn't need to explain why it no longer exists. But the point you take from a post like that is that the Easter Rising wasn't expected. People didn't expect a rebellion to break out. Um, I mean, take, take the 1916 proclamation. There's, fellas, there's men and women who fought in the Easter Rising who knew nothing about a proclamation. They didn't know the Rising was meant to break out. There's people who fought in the Easter Rising who were taken by surprise at the fact that it broke out. Now, the British authorities in Ireland were taken by surprise by the fact that it broke out, because as far as they were concerned... The rebellion, um, as far as they were concerned, the fact that weapons had uh, had not landed off the odd over the previous few days had surely meant that no rising was ever going to happen. In that, the British were wrong. Um, and certainly, the civilians in Dublin, be they nationalists or unionists or whatever, you know, social class, did not expect a rebellion to break out. The 24th of April was a public holiday, but it was meant to be a day like any other where people went about their business. Um, and Now, that's not what happened. But it's worth having a look at, say, the newspapers that were published that day because they don't talk about any rebellions. There's maybe one or two simmering hints of, you know, more militant nationalist activity. I mean, the Freeman's Journal had a report of a mysterious stranger who'd been captured down in Kerry. That was Roger Casement. But other than that, the kind of stuff that newspapers reported that morning was very, very different to what you might expect. You, ha- you kind of have to get behind hindsight. You know, we know about the Easter Rising. Our uh, predecessors on the 24th of April didn't know about it. And I think as well as, like you said, you know, uh, military parades, fellas walking down the streets with rifles wasn't exactly uh, completely out of the blue. So even if you were around Dublin uh, at lunchtime or uh, on Easter Monday and you saw a group of lads walking down uh, Sackville Street, you wouldn't have thought twice about that. No, and you wouldn't have paid them, you probably wouldn't have taken them particularly seriously either. Like the Citizen Army and um, the Irish volunteers regularly went on parades at weekends. But they often got abused by um, by home rule supporters and Redmondites and others on the grounds that by walking around, you know, playing at toy soldiers in Ireland, you weren't being a real soldier. 
where many people felt it mattered. And in fact, there was a correspondent who uh, described himself as an Irish nationalist and wrote a letter. And he wasn't just an Irish nationalist, I'd say. He said he was an Irish nationalist who had spent, as he said it, many months at the front in Flanders. And he argued that conscription should be extended to Ireland if it was to be extended to England and Scotland, as was, in, as was uh, on the cards in early 1916. And he said, Why should Irishmen suffer the indignity of allowing other countries to sacrifice everything for our sakes, while our foolish young men play at soldiers in the streets of our cities and the roads and lanes of our country districts? The Irish volunteers prior to the 24th of April 1916 had done nothing. I mean, this is an organisation that was basically run out of Limerick the previous year um, when I tried to hold a parade there. But it they, wasn't an organisation to take seriously. Yeah, but they were building up to this moment just because nobody else knew about it, but they were building towards something. Oh, yeah, their, their intent was serious, and we know now that they were serious, but from the point of view of people who were there right then, they were looking at chancers, shirkers, toy soldiers. They weren't looking at a serious organisation. Now, by the end of the week, our correspondent would have had a very different view of this. But then, did you put that down to, was that... Uh, purposely done on the part of the planners they wanted to um, keep up this facade of appearing as if they were just still playing at being toy soldiers well they certainly wanted to keep the plans for a rise in secret I mean um, Tom Clark in particular operating the principle of loose lips sank ships the less people who knew about the rising, the better. I mean, we don't even know what the plan for the rising was. We can, we can, and there was a plan. There was certainly something committed to paper. It ne- it didn't survive. But the pe- the men who planned the rising didn't let much slip. There's people who were involved in the volunteers who suspected that something was in the works, um, who definitely saw activity increase in the days prior to Easter. But the rising was kept very secret. The less people knew about it, the greater chance of success, as people like Thomas Clark would have perceived it. Do you think that was right? I know obviously they didn't, you know, uh, loose lips, uh, sink ships and all that, but at the same time, when it did happen, it was seen to be just um, the events of just a few madmen. Well, it had a more profound effect um, because, and um, what I mean by that is it's worth looking at the uh, the infamous countermand of Owen McNeil. And bear in mind, Owen McNeil, um, Owen McNeil had no problem with the Diva Rebellion, none whatsoever. What he wasn't willing to support was a rebellion that was doomed to failure. He was quite happy to support a rebellion if he felt it had a chance of success. Um, when he'd been told of the, uh, the ship and the weapons that was due in on the yard, he went along with it. What changed his mind was the fact that the weapons were scuttled. And as far as Medeal was, was, was concerned, without those guns, the rebellion stood no prospect of success. And hence his countermanding order in the Sunday Independent of Easter, on Easter Sunday 1916. Now bear in mind the countermanding order, because the rank and file of the volunteers didn't know one way or the other. The plan was quite literally, they were torn up for their regular Sunday manoeuvres, they'd be presented with these nice Russian guns and told, right, here we are. You know, this is what we've been planning and planning and training for. Um, it, was going to be, be, it was going to be sprung as a surprise upon them. Now, if they didn't know that something was being planned, McNeil's order didn't really mean, one, really mean much one way or the other. Now, you might be cynical and say that that also lets a lot of people off the hook because certainly there were people who were happy to be members of the volunteers, but when it was put to them that that would involve fighting, they kind of resigned their membership on the spot. Puts it into a nice, nice context, like I said. So even the volunteers were unaware of what was happening and likewise the people of Dublin were going out their business, going to the shops, sitting in the theatre. <laughs> well, look at, look, at, look at what was um, the kind of stuff that was in the paper that day. You know, um, the news that dominated was news about the, the First World War. You know, um, German fears of a British offensive in Ypres, the Battle of Verdun, list of Irish casualties. There was a charity rugby match played that weekend to raise funds for injured soldiers between the so-called Crocs of Leinster and the Crocs of Ulster, the ex-internationals. Um, now, incidentally, the Crocs of Ulster actually won um, the Fairy House races, a performance of Yates, Kathleen, the Houlihan and the Abbey Theatre, you know, uh, a vice-regal tour of Ulster, golf notices. 
Um, and as one ad in the Irish Independent actually put noted, a remarkable but honest offer to get a fitted suit from London at a knockdown price. I mean, these were the kind of things that were in the paper. Um, buried in the Sunday Independent, you would have had the countermanding order, but there was no headline saying rebellion broke out in Dublin because it hadn't broke out and no one expected it to break out. Now, um, the catch is that when all this was, and any document published that day, any poster, I mean, even the uh, the Abbey Pro, there was an Abbey, the Abbey Theatre had a programme for the run of Kathleen Houlihan that was meant to take place that that night didn't didn't begin. Um, as for the Coliseum Theatre, however, um, well, what makes the kind of poster a bit of a museum piece is that it's the last poster for anything to ever run the Coliseum Theatre because given where it was, right behind the GPO, between Princess Street and Henry Street, by the end of the Easter Rising, it was a burnt-out hulk and never reopened. So like you said, 24th of April 1916, a day like any other. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that, John. Next week on our History of the Easter Rising in 10 Objects, we'll be discussing the Irish Republican flag that was flown over the GPO during the Easter Rising. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, follow the show on SoundCloud, and you can read, watch, and listen to much, much more about 1916 on independent.ie forward slash 1916. And John's book, A History of the Easter Rising in 50 Objects, is out now in all bookshops.